Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. In a statement this morning from the Vatican, the Vatican said that the Pope had accepted Wallet's resignation. Pope Francis has accepted the resignation of Canadian Cardinal Marc Wallet from the offices of Prefect of the Dicastery for Bishops and President of the Pontifical Commission for Latin America, saying that he has reached the age of retirement. A woman accused Cardinal Wallet of sexual assault back in 2008 to 2010. So that is when he was Archbishop of Quebec. Cardinal Wallet has denied these allegations. In fact, he has countersued and is seeking $100,000 in damages. Cardinal Wallet's resignation comes amid accusations of sexual misconduct, which we discussed here on Inside the Vatican two weeks ago. Cardinal Wallet will be succeeded by Bishop Robert Francis Prevost, a Chicago-born Augustinian friar, who until now was Bishop of Chiclayo in Peru. Bishop Prevost will assume office on April 12th. In Kinshasa's Ndolo Airport, everything is ready to welcome Pope Francis. This week, Jerry is in Africa covering the Pope's visit to the Democratic Republic of Congo and South Sudan. So in lieu of our usual conversation, we are bringing you an interview with Toussaint Kafahire, a Jesuit priest and the director of Centre Europe, a center for research and formation in Lubumbashi. Father Kafahire was also asked to accompany some of the young people who met with the Pope this past Thursday in Kinshasa. The Democratic Republic of Congo is the first stop on this visit to the African continent. It is a country rich in mineral wealth and rife with political, tribal, and even interreligious conflicts. Pope Francis has said that with this visit, he is on a mission of peace. I'm Ricardo de Silva, and this is Inside the Vatican. Toussaint, welcome. Thank you very much, Ricardo. Thank you. This visit of Pope Francis was postponed last July when Pope Francis could no longer um, travel because of the, the problems he was having with his knee which now seem to be much improved, although he is in a wheelchair. How did it come about? What is this visit to the Democratic Republic of Congo? Uh, what does it mean for the people? What does it mean for Pope Francis? Thank you very much for that question, Ricardo. Uh, indeed, uh, in early July, the Congolese people and South Sudanese people and the entire continent of Africa, I would say, was very eager to receive Pope Francis. And I can tell you the amount of disappointment that they felt when uh, the visit got cancelled. It was no one's fault. The Pope was not feeling well. I mean, he had the knee problem. Medical doctor advised him not to travel at that point. But Ricardo, a couple of weeks later, uh, maybe three weeks later, Pope Francis was able to make a trip to Canada where he went, met with the indigenous community, apologized for all the wrongs that the church 
did in the past to the community. And at that point, I believe in Africa, people started feeling bad, I would say. You know, they felt as if they were not considered. They felt as, uh, you know, uh, because Africa has always been uh, at the bottom of, you know, the world interests that Pope Francis just canceled that trip. But it was not that the reason. So in November, on the 1st of November, on the Feast of the um, All the Saints, Pope Francis held a synodal conversation with the youth from Catholic universities across the continent of Africa. And I can remember very clearly the question that a Congolese young lady put to Pope Francis directly. And she asked Pope Francis, teasing him, I guess, Holy Father, can you tell us whether you were scared by all the wars and conflict and violence going on in the Congo that made you cancel your trip? Mm. And she added, saying that, uh, you know, people from different religions around us are the ones actually teasing the Catholics that their Pope is coward. Mm. Uh, and Pope Francis, of course, laughed about it. But he said, you know, I have recovered. I am strong enough. I'm still in wheelchair, but I promise I will be coming by the end of January. So I know the eagerness, the joy, the preparedness that people have put in, you know, to just welcome this moment and live through it because it's a momentum, I would say. It's, it's such a unique moment. Uh, you said in, um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't remember when was the last visit of the Pope to Africa. I 38 think almost years 40 ago. years ago. Yeah, 38 years ago, Pope John oh, Paul II. Years ago, yeah. Do you remember that trip? Were you, were, yeah, were you there? You must have been a young boy then. You know, I was, I was very young. I was 12 years old, but, uh, you know, everybody can still keep the memory of the, uh, even childhood, you know, because when a Pope come to a country like this, uh, it was just a moment of like a, a, a jubilee, I would say, as we read it in the Bible, you know. Mm-hmm. So we, we're hoping that this one also will be another jubilee for the Congolese people. So let's talk about this one. You know, what are the hopes? What is the significance of this visit? Tell me what the emotion and feeling is like on the streets. Well, I started by reminding you of the disappointment we felt at the beginning. And now the disappointment is getting vindicated, I would say, yeah. because Pope Francis is uh, holding his word and uh, he's not that well. I mean, he's an old man of 86 years old. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, the sooner he, he recovered from the injury, you know, in the knee, he, he was on the way. He was like a pilgrim, like St. Ignatius of uh, Loyola himself, you know, uh, going on a pilgrimage to the peripheries. And I think that is a concept that is very, very much liked by Pope Francis. He's talking about the peripheries. Um, I believe the people are very, very overjoyed. People are waiting for this moment to just be in the presence of the Holy Father. It is uh, in itself a message. It is, you know, the Pope may not even speak words. Just his being there is a reminder that uh, this is what the gospel is supposed to be, you know. So we, we are hopeful, we are joyful, we are excited, we are just waiting for this moment to happen, to be able to pray together with the, the head of the Catholic Church, who is our father in faith. Uh, and uh, in that respect, in that regard, we believe really 
there is no other consolation the people in the Congo or in Africa could expect or look for. So it is really a moment that we want to live in spirituality, you know, spiritually and uh, humanly. You know, we hear this over and over how Pope Francis, more than anything, is a pope of gestures, right? And he is going into the situation in the DRC for a very particular reason. There, there, there are active conflicts in the country. We know he sent a message, a telegram to the evangelical churches not long ago when there was a, there was a bombing uh, in one of the churches just some weeks ago. Um, and he has said that he is with the people there. Give me a sense of what is going on on the ground. You know, what is this need that Pope Francis is coming to respond to? What are the conflicts? Yeah, um, that's a very good question, Ricardo. Pope Francis, uh, if you look at uh, most of his trips, is not someone who is going to the, you know, the, the places of uh, of power and wealth and luxury. Uh, actually, when I think about the Pope, uh, one, one thing that comes strongly to my mind is that question which Jesus put to the crowd, you know, after the visit of, uh, of the disciple of John the Baptist. And Jesus looks at the crowd and asks them, why did you go out into the desert, into the wilderness to see? You know, a reed swaying in the wind, a man dressed in a fine linen. If you remember, you know, chapter mm -hmm. seven of, uh, of uh, the Gospel of Luke. Um, so Pope Francis is, uh, is not coming to this wilderness of the human right, of the suffering of people, to, to, to just shake the hand of head of state. And no, uh, Pope Francis is coming to this existential periphery, as I put it before, to, to express the closeness of God and the compassion of God for the people who have suffered so, so much. Mm -hmm. And the choice of South Sudan and the choice of the DRC is very meaningful. Let me talk about the DRC briefly, very briefly. The DRC is a country that uh, really, the, the entire history, I would say, has been fraught with a lot of violence, you know, a um, lot of silences also, because people want to silence things that are not very happy to be seen or to be known. Uh, from colonization to this day, I would say, uh, Congolese people have suffered a huge deal, a great deal, uh, because of the wealth of the country. And, and even now, if it, as Pope Francis is coming to, to express that closeness, the compassion of God, Pope Francis is very much aware that the problem is not the Congolese people who are very hospitable people, the very loving people. They are, their culture is just amazing, you know, but the powers of the world that have uh, this, um, uh, how do I put this? Like the, the, the COVID, if, if you will, you know, the, the COVID, the, the, the wealth of the Congo, mm -hmm. they come to fight. They want to keep a very weak government in the Congo so that they can continue to get the advantages of timber, coltan, gold all the minerals, the, even the soil. Uh, so when you get to the Congo nowadays, you'll just be appalled by the way that the rich handful group of rich people have, uh, you know, uh, monopolized the land, the, the, the wealth, almost everything at the expense of the poor. And Pope Francis is coming to remind us that what we need is love, human rights, social justice, right distribution, and just the dignity for which every single human creature 
uh, I mean, human being was created. So these are covetous international powers, right, that, that have come to plunder the country of its mineral wealth. Among those, many developing nations, right? Yeah. I mean, it has it has a, a troubled history, especially where I am now. I mean, a troubled history with the United States. Yeah, it is unfortunate that uh, we have to say it. You know, the United States and most of these uh, powerful countries, developed countries, as you call them, uh, they speak one thing and they do the opposite. So apparently, it is politics. They call it politics. They call it realism. Uh, and when you read Fratelli Tutsi, I think it is a powerful message that the Pope is getting out there, uh, reminding politicians that uh, really politics is not about lying to people or exploiting the people that we are supposed to serve. And Pope Francis is reminding us that actually the young people or the younger generation of people are getting disinterested completely in politics because of those corrupted you know, actions or acts, because of the fraud, because of everything that goes against the common good. And Pope Francis is reminding us that we need that conversion to come back to do the right politics. So, yeah, the U.S., France, uh, many other powerful countries, just like in the time of the Cold War, they would use African hands or African countries to destabilize others so that they can continue to profit and benefit from the wealth of these countries. But again, when we say this, we, we are lumping you know, things. We are just overgeneralizing, I can say. Mm-hmm. We should recognize that even in the U.S., you do have very many good people, good politicians who are fighting for the right thing. You know, But unfortunately, uh, sometimes I think uh, those interest groups that are more vocal, more powerful, are the ones that drive the politics, international politics, and they're the ones that define the agenda in international relations. And to that extent, they have been using, you know, countries within Africa. Uh, Uganda has been there. Rwanda has been there, um, you know, uh, just to, to, to get access to those wealth without going through the proper channels. And uh, they care less about uh, how many people are dying, suffering, and, you know. So it is, uh, it is our duty to be committed to denouncing such acts uh, and, and bringing really the light of the gospel to how we need to organize our communities and societies and project ourselves into the future that we really want. And this is what Pope Francis is bringing us. Yeah, and so one of the forces, I think, which is is central, and we can see it certainly very strong in the country, you have a 50% majority Catholic population. Clearly, the Catholic Church is a powerful institution within that mix. I'm sure it has been a a powerful institution for evil, but also for good, right, on, on, on so many levels. Can you talk to us about the, the country's Catholicity? What does Catholic Congo look like? Yeah, um, yes, we do have a very strong Catholic institution in the Congo. Uh, the country, I would say, for the last 30 years, if not more, has been completely destabilized. And I think it is partly, you know, in part because of uh, the international politics of neoliberalism, which even Pope Francis has been stigmatizing in many ways. Uh, so privatization and uh, the death of the public service and the public sector 
is just felt almost everywhere. And so the Catholic Church has been one of these institutions that uh, has come in to fill out the vacuum, I would say, of you know, the, whatever the government was supposed to be doing in terms of uh, public education, in terms of health you know, provision, in terms of uh, uh, so many other social you know, uh, uh, actions and, and commitments. Uh, the Catholic Church has been very, very outgoing. And we are very lucky, I would say, and we're very grateful also to have such a committed, dedicated Catholic Church. I believe most people in Africa would agree that the uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops of the Congo is the most vocal and the strongest on the continent when it comes to matters of politics and social issues. And the Catholic bishops certainly have played an instrumental role in the country, right? They've spoken out strongly against the corruption, the injustice, the violence, the poverty. I was reading this interview with the apostolic nuncio to the DRC, Ettore Balestrero, in which he says the Catholic Church handles almost 40% of the healthcare systems of the country. Uh, There are about 6 million children educated in Catholic institutions from kindergarten through high school. You know, the Catholic Church is responsible for the uh, electoral observance missions and and one of the most trusted institutions to ensure that um, democracy is being processed uh, in in these elections. Yeah, um, I, I wanted to say, you know, I remember uh, in the early 70s, um, maybe I was not even born yet, <laughs> but uh, we had a powerful cardinal. Uh, who got uh, himself in trouble with Mobutu when Mobutu, we spoke a little bit about Mobutu, was beginning to, you know, uh, place himself at the center of almost everything to be worshipped almost as a savior or almost as a god. Uh, And the church said, no, you can't be gods because we only have one savior, Jesus Christ, and we only have one God. So uh, the cardinal uh, was exiled and wanted to spend some years at the Vatican. I mentioned uh, Bishop Muzihirwa, Christopher, in the early 80s, who was extremely outspoken, uh, a Jesuit, who was killed actually at the beginning of uh, uh, all the wars in 1996. Uh, Most people look at him as uh, the African Romero, you know, Monsignor Romero, uh, because of his dedication and commitment to the dignity of every single human being, regardless of ethnic background, uh, you see social status, whatever you want to call it. And as you mentioned about the, the Catholic Church and the Conference of Catholic Bishops in the Congo, I believe it is within that tradition that they place themselves and they want to continue to speak to every single social issue that has been disfiguring uh, and distorting, you know, uh, that image which uh, everybody, everyone inherited uh, from creation. It is part of uh, the deposit of, uh, of the Christian teaching, you know, the Catholic social doctrine or teaching uh, that uh, we were made into the image and likeness of God. And it is that sacredness of every human being that, you know, uh, drive, I would say, the, the, the political or the social commitment of the church within the continent, but specifically in the Congo. So you are right, the uh, Catholic bishops in the Congo have been very present accompanying the democratization process uh, from the early 90s 
uh, Monsengo actually was the president of that uh, transition period. You know, we called it Conférence Nationale Souveraine. Uh, and then he continued to lead, you know, as uh, almost a spiritual father or the political class, you know, a political group uh, who, who referred to them as uh, one wise man. You know, in Africa, wisdom is something very, very important. And we want to go to the elders to listen to what kind of wisdom they can bring to us so that we can live together. And bishops actually play that role within our communities, within our society, uh, as elders with wisdom who can help us overcome some of these political divides, uh, try to get right, you know, some of these uh, social injustices uh, and, uh, and just, you know, build up that kingdom of heaven that we so much long to see come or happen in our midst. Yes, it's really Indeed, re it's, uh, the, the churches. Yeah. It's really refreshing to hear that, you know, we so often we hear about bishops being caught in scandal, um, cardinals facing charges. We, we, we seldom hear the good, the good work that is being done by so many bishops and church officials. Um, and in a country like the DRC, where that is so important, where it, it needs to be such a vocal uh, and strong presence. I wonder if we can look to Pope Francis's visit uh, a little more concretely. Given all this history, given the political history, given the church's history, and especially the history of the bishops and their uh, fight for social justice, what do you think Pope Francis's message needs to be? Or at least if you were advising Pope Francis, what would you say to him he needs to bring when he comes to the DRC next week? Wow, that is a tough question. What can I advise to someone who is wiser than me? <laughs> but anyway, let me try to say something. Uh, there is a picture, there's an image of the DRC that is uh, widespread. You know, it comes from uh, the past. Uh, and we keep uh, uh, repeating it and, uh, and reproducing it through this course. And through action as well, like, you know, what happened recently. But uh, I believe even the bombing to which you referred earlier that happened in the Congo got a huge coverage than any bombing, let's say, that may happen in south side of Chicago. You know, mm -hmm. and it sounds worse uh, because it is happening in Africa among Africans for whom many people around the world still bear that kind of, uh, you know, prejudice, as if, you know, Africa was a savage place inhabited by savages and who know only how to butcher and kill each other and so on and so forth. So whatever is going on in the Congo, honestly, I am not going to normalize it. It is not normal at all because it is for mere stones you know, that people can still get access to without so much violence. Uh, and we need, we need strong, you know. So if I had to expect any words of wisdom from Pope Francis, is to continue to be outspoken as the church has to be, as he has always been, and speak truth to the powers, you know. Uh, the people in Africa are not at the neck of each other but most of the time, 
It is politicians who instrumentalize their background, their communities, ethnic communities, to just get access to that you know, power, to that wealth, to, and so many other things. So I believe uh, what we really need the most now in Africa is to set the record right and speak the truth. The truth has been, um, I don't want to say jeopardized, but I want to say, uh, in French, we have a concept that is brade. Brade is like sold very cheap, mm. you know? Uh, so uh, I remember actually from the, the conversation we had before with the Pope online with the youth, uh, some young people were telling Pope Francis, can you help us at least have references in our faith? so that we know what stand to take when people from other religions ask us questions about this issue or that issue. The issue could be that of homosexuality. The issue could be that of democracy. The issue could be any, any kind of social issue. Tell us what is the, the, the right Catholic teaching. And so um, I believe even when we are progressive, as we have to be, because the world is always in the, on the move, it's changing. We need to have those truths which we cannot sell so cheap mm -hmm. and for which we are ready to die as we have had matters. And that truth needs to be spoken to politicians who want to relativize everything. Mm -hmm. You know, human life has become relative to wealth and power, and we don't need any of that. We need to put the human person at the center of communities, of societies, of structures, of institutions, of wealth, of work, of everything we do. Mm -hmm. We are doing it so that human beings can be human beings again. And so we want Pope Francis to remind us of those truths that no one can change, no matter where you are, the color of your skin, the amount of education you have acquired, the wealth that you have accumulated, that human being is a human being and deserves respect unconditionally. So that's one thing I hope to hear from Pope Francis. I'm, I'm remembering that one of the ways in which Pope Francis, and I think I'm right about this, but one of the ways in which we often hear Pope Francis refer to Africa is he says, Africa is the heart of Catholicism, right? It has, it has joy. There's a significant joy. And so what is that, as an African myself, but what is the joy amid the strife? There is so much hope in Africa, despite every single challenge that people are going through. And it gives you a pause and you wonder, how can you explain this paradox? Where is this joy coming from? How can these people still be so human uh, or so humane? I don't know how to put this. Maybe both. Uh, despite <laughs> every violence, they have both, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, but I believe, first of all, we have to agree that uh, the quality of faith among our people is something we cannot take away from them. Last year, Pope Francis sent a group of theologians from across the world to the existential peripheries. And Pope Francis reminded the theologians that you are going to listen to people. You are not going there with your, the amount of knowledge that you have acquired in universities and degrees. You need to go to these people and listen 
to how God can surprise you through their life stories. So this is this is the synod the, on synodality, right? I mean, you're referring to the synod on synodality. This is the synod. Pope Francis has invited exactly a, across the world uh, feedback on what yes. the church needs. Maybe my question to you is, what was that feedback? Right? We we know we've heard uh, one of the syntheses of the report. Uh, one of the syntheses from the synod says that the role of women is central, right? We really need to talk about questions surrounding women, surrounding sexuality in the church. What are you, what, what are you hearing from the people in the DRC? So um, I was very, very lucky and fortunate to be a part of this process as a theologian, going to the peripheries, existential peripheries, and listening to people. I wanted to link this maybe to the previous question that you raised, because I met some of the women who had been victims of rapes mm. in the wars in the DRC. And I was just astounded to see the amount of joy that transpired from their faces when I told them that I am coming on behalf of Pope Francis to listen to you. What message do you have for Pope Francis? What can I go and tell Pope Francis? And one, or, one lady who was in her 70s whose story I can't even start telling you, it is just a story of tears and blood. Uh, she smiled and she said, God help of Francis, we're so grateful that he still remembers us, hmm. that he can still think about us. This was in May 2022. And she said, tell Pope Francis in July 2022, we shall be there to welcome him. And this lady was smiling and it was a smile that was not fake, that was not for the media or for publicity or for the photo or for, no. It was a smile springing from the bottom of her heart. And I told her, I asked her actually the question, how can you be so happy despite everything that happened to you? And she said, faith. She said, the community around me, you know, what Pope Francis has referred to and everybody else around us are talking about the Ubuntu. You know, it's very well coming from South Africa. Mm -hmm. Monsignor Desmond Tutu, Nelson Mandela, and many theologians are now talking about the Ubuntu. I am My because we are. to be a human person. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I am because of that community that surrounds me. Mm -hmm. And I say to myself, this is where sometimes when the West is trying to read Africa, the West gets it wrong because we have measurements of economics or, I don't know, of politics in the West that sometimes do not fit within the African context, cultural histories, uh, but that are applied anyway, blindly, and you want to, to judge, you know, Africa uh, based on that, you know, benchmark of the West. Uh, the Ubuntu economy, the Ubuntu Quality. The Ubuntu just, you know, way of organizing is something that is very powerful, giving hope to those members of the community, of the family, of the society, of the church, whose lives otherwise would be, you know, meaningless if it were not for the love and hope that we share together. So um, maybe um, I took you a little bit back to the older question. Uh, please feel free to... That's fine. To I'm going to bring you back to the, my question around, uh, you know... Which, which is part of what you've spoken about right now, but really back to the Synod, what are you hearing? What are the concrete issues? Uh, perhaps, you know, it would be good to hear because we are, again, we often hear that women in Africa aren't speaking up. Uh, 
gay people in Africa aren't speaking up, right? And yet we're getting this from the synthesis document in the Synod saying that across the world, people are speaking up, women and the LGBT community. So I want to hear what are the issues that, are, that you've heard coming from the DRC? Thank you. Um, among the issues that I heard from the DRC, I think uh, we are still very strongly a hierarchical church. The church is still a very strong, rigid institution where power is distributed, of course, among the male, you know, uh, bishops and priests. And uh, this is something that uh, many people believe we should speak to. Uh, because sometimes Africans want to bring in the cultural perspectives of understanding power, authority, the father figure, and so on and so forth. Uh, but the world is really on the move. And it is because of those rigidities of power uh, that many other abuses of power, you know, uh, I, I know that African theologians are actually looking into uh, uh, spiritual abuses sexual abuses that we're not talking about uh maybe you know uh, people are still very shy to talk about the gay issue uh although the gay community still exists i mean there are gay africans who are out there uh and uh, just invisible people not recognized people i was teaching in uh, nairobi at hekima college a few years ago and i had a class on african cultures and conflicts and I remember discussing some of these issues from our cultural backgrounds with my student, MA students. And um, the way uh, we just or they just handled the issue of gayness or homosexuality in Africa was very, very dismissive. Uh, but it's, it's part of uh, what maybe, you know, we need to listen to because synodality is about listening. Uh, we need to be. Uh, prophetic enough not to listen to ourselves and our fears, right? But to listen to really what Pope Francis would call the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Where is God calling us in today's world, culture, to be witnesses to the gospel? Um, I was listening to the Pope recently and he was saying it is not right to mistreat people simply because they are gay uh, because it is not a crime to be a gay person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Africa, I think we are lagging behind because people will tell you we have more pressing issues mm-hmm. than those of sex, sexuality, and whatever. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a a, a sexy topic, you know, mm-hmm. like a luxury, a luxury. You know, topic. So, so they a- say hunger and a luxury topic. So am I right in this? From what I'm hearing you say, you're saying that people are aware that the church has a hierarchical nature, that the church has systems which contribute towards violence in many ways, um, systems of violence, and they are speaking out. They are saying, it's enough. We need to revise who we are as church. Uh, changing a culture, Ricardo, might be very difficult mm-hmm. because uh, you know it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. But people uh, are saying that. But people are saying that. Cultures, yeah, people want to shake off the clericalism of the church, of course. It is very important. It's very urgent, I think, you know. Uh, and to do that, as you're saying, I believe, actually, we simply need to recognize that, uh, you know, the way power within the church is distributed is... Uh, is uh, biased. I mean, it is uh, skewed toward the, the, the male, you know, figures. 
And so what is the role that women or female, you know, uh, agents have been playing within the church? How, how much voice are we giving to the female uh, body of the church, you know? Um, whether it is on a Sunday, you know, service, uh, when, when you all you can hear is, uh, you know, a homily that was prepared by a man priest because he went through three years of theology at the seminary and uh, and comes to speak with that uh, power which the church vested in uh, in him. You understand that some women uh, might not be comfortable. I remember I will say this very quickly. Uh, a lady who reminded us, you know, we were going through the Arupe month before ordination, and this lady said, "Fathers, when you are preparing your homilies." please do not insult our intelligence hmm. because in the audience you have many women who came with a hunger, the thirst for the word of God, and they really want you to prepare rightly and properly your homilies, but do not come to tell us the rubbish she said simply because you have that stall around your neck and because you have been ordained. Remember, there are many female theologians now who know better than you who were your professors and uh, don't just abuse your power to tell us anything. I found it very deep and very powerful. Mm. And so women are expecting to see some changes begin to happen, uh, to have spaces open for discussion, for conversation, for rethinking the kind of communities that we want to build as, uh, as Catholic Church in Africa. Authentic. Authentically African, authentically you know, Catholic. We know that Pope Francis is going to meet with priests and religious while he is in Kinshasa. Um, but he keeps speaking these words of anti-clericalism um, and really trying to create a church which is listening. So looking at the trip, he's going to be staying mainly in Kinshasa. You've been, in fact, he's going to be staying exclusively in Kinshasa, as I understand it. But there will be yeah. victims from Goma where he was expected to visit the eastern part of the country um, that's war-torn. Uh, he, he was hoping to go there, but it seems the conflict is just too strong there. Um, and, and there is concern for the safety of the people if Pope Francis goes there. He's not worried about himself going there so much as he is what his presence there might bring for um, the conflict there. And so we know that those women and, and that you spoke of earlier are going to be coming to Kinshasa um, what other places in Kinshasa will Pope Francis visit that are of significance? So Pope Francis is uh, going to be meeting with the victims of uh, violence and wars from Eastern Congo. Um, I've been in touch because I worked with uh, the Jesuit Refugee Service uh, last year in uh, Goma. And I met the bishop, I met the, my fellow brothers, priest brothers. I met actually people on the ground uh, as I was saying before, uh, and I know that they are very much ready to get to Kinshasa to meet with Pope Francis. I will come back a little bit uh, to what I said before when Pope Francis, you know, talked with the youth um, in November last year. Pope Francis reminded the lady from the Congo who raised the question. He said, oh, I am very, very happy you asked that question because you use the word compassion of God. The question was, when are you coming back to express that compassion of God to our people, to those women who were raped, victims, and, you know, and Pope Francis 
went on and on and on to talk about the compassion, compassion, you know. So we are sure Pope Francis is coming to express that compassion to this uh, group of people. But after that, Pope Francis is talking also to the youth mm. and the catechists. It means what? It means Pope Francis sees the hope of this uh, vibrant church, but also growing church within the youth and the catechists. So if changes have to happen, it is what kind of message, what kind of legacy of faith are we handing down to the younger people, younger generation? But at the same time, what is the content that we are putting in our catechism today? So Pope Francis is going to talk to these groups to say it is very important the work that you're doing, the torch, the light actually that you are bearing, you are carrying, and we need to keep going, running with that forward, right? Uh, after that only is when Pope Francis is going to meet maybe with the priests and religious men and women uh, to continue discussing And You know, it will be the second of, uh, of uh, February, which is the feast, actually, of religious life, mm -hmm. uh, the feast of the light, la chandeleur, as we say in French. Candlemas. Um, so on that, yes, exactly. So on that day, I believe Pope Francis is going to remind religious men and women, consecrated people, that uh, we need to play that prophetic role that we are, uh, we are supposed to be playing. Because uh, we talked about clericalism, and clericalism is when maybe we content ourselves with the minimum, bare minimum, actually, because we are covered by the institution. Uh, it is almost like that uh, parable that Pope Francis likes to quote very often about the Good Samaritan, right? You have a priest who passes by and goes his way because he's on duty. He doesn't want to defile himself. Uh, and, uh, and that clericalism style is what Pope Francis is telling us. You quit that attitude, that position. You need to regain what it means to be a prophet in today's world. Mm -hmm. There are many issues and many challenges. There are many expectations from people, and you need to be out there with the people of God without fear. The spirit to receive is not a spirit of fear, St. Paul would say, mm -hmm. right? But it's a spirit of freedom that sets us out there uh, to, to profess, to proclaim Jesus. Uh, and so I believe that would be another area of Pope Francis's message to the Congolese community but another area I, I really believe strongly is uh, that of addressing the political class, the politicians. Many of them are Catholics. You said we have 45 million Catholics, mm -hmm. half the population, meaning they come to the church every Sunday. They receive communion every Sunday. But when it comes to the sphere of uh, acting just or acting rightly, uh, our structures and the institutions overwhelm their willingness to do what is right. So how can they be good Christians and good politicians at the same time, good Catholics and witnesses of, of the gospel in places where they are working? So it is our hope that uh, that is another area or sector where Pope Francis will be addressing, you know, uh, another existential periphery within the Congolese periphery. Toussaint, yes. our time is running out, but you spoke about light and bearing light. What is the light that you are most hoping for with this visit? In one sentence. I see Pope Francis reviving our way of being Christians in the 21st century. 
uh, we're coming from a past that is heavy. We are going to a future that is lighter, but with Christ, the light of Christ. With uh, because you know, Pope Francis is a Jesuit, and uh, I love when uh, Pedro Arope tries to define a Jesuit, and he says. It is just looking at Christ and trying to imitate Christ. Hmm. So the light is how can we begin to be Christ to one another again? So that is the light, the hope that I hope. Yeah. Tussar, it's been a joy. Uh, such a privilege to speak to you ahead of the visit. I know you are going to take some young people. Uh, you're going to be traveling to Kinshasa yourself uh, later in the week. And you're going to... T- uh, introduce many of these young people who met with the Pope at this university audience last year, you're going to take them um, to meet with the Pope in person this time. And so we wish you well, and hopefully we'll be able to connect with you again upon return. Thank you. Thank you so very much. God bless. Thank you for this moment. Thank you. God bless you. The DRC is only one of the countries the Pope will visit this week. We have a detailed explainer on our YouTube channel that gets into why Pope Francis is visiting South Sudan. Jerry will be back next week to share with us the details of the Pope's visit to the DRC and South Sudan. But for more on the Pope's Africa visit and the other headline news mentioned in this episode, please go to americamagazine.org. We'll also link to all of our coverage in the show notes. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Sebastian Gomes. Our audio engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Christopher Spielman. Inside the Vatican is recorded in the William J. Loschett Studio at America Media in New York and at the Jesuits International Headquarters in Rome. To keep up with the latest Vatican coverage from America Media, please follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ, that's R-I-C-D-S-S-J, and Jerry at Jerryorome, that's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please also consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe. It's easy to do and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Ricardo De Silva. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.